I'm going to invite you to be seated, and uh, because it's Christmas, this is Christmas, we do things a little bit differently in the service, and so um, right now I want to invite... I want to invite our kids to come forward. Now, my wife has assured me, even though there's fire up here, that this is not an unwise thing to do. I consulted with a good uh, parent first before I did this. So, um, uh, because you know dads, we do crazy things. So, um, I'm going to have all the kids come up over here to this side. They're going to be here to help you get up on the stairs. I want you to come right here in the center, kids. Have a seat. Yeah, come on up. Guys, walk right around behind here. Just don't touch the fire table. Walk right around behind here. Come right here in the middle. It's okay. Seriously, come on. All right, just kind of have a seat right all up in this area right here, okay? got some of my, uh, my watchers here to make sure no one falls off the back of the stage. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, coming on up, kids. Um, today, you know, it's Christmas, and there's a lot of things to be excited about Christmas, right? I mean, does anyone find Christmas kind of boring and not very exciting? Just wondering. No, I don't think so. Uh, Christmas is pretty exciting. Um, and Christmas has a lot of different components. It has a lot of different elements, a lot of different traditions. And uh, I've got one of them here in my hand. Anyone know what this is? It's a candy cane, right? So um, just be honest here. How many of you, if you thought of all the things in Christmas, how many of you would say that candy canes are your favorite thing? Would anyone say they're your favorite? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, you know, I like candy canes okay, but they're not my favorite thing. They're not even my favorite candy. I prefer chocolate over, over hard candy. Corbin, what about you? I don't like candy canes. You don't like candy canes? No. Not very much? No. So if I gave you one in a minute, you wouldn't eat it? If it was flavored, like not peppermint, I would. Okay, all right. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. So, um, you know, sometimes these are hanging on our Christmas trees. Um, I remember, we don't do this at my house, but I remember at my, my grandma's house, she, this is a big candy cane, by the way, isn't it? Uh, at my grandma's house, um, she always had uh, candy canes hanging on her trees. And when we were kids, we, we used to like to go and take them off the tree even before Christmas and eat them. And then she'd be mad because her tree would be empty. Um, but I don't know if you guys know this, that even though, even though candy cane may not be your favorite thing about Christmas or your favorite even candy or food about Christmas, the candy cane is a powerful symbol. It's a powerful reminder of what Christmas is all about. Now, maybe some of you know some of this um, in uh, that's great if you do. This will be a good reminder for you. But maybe some of this will be new for some of you as to why the candy cane is an important symbol for Christmas. So for starters, if we turn the candy cane this way, what, what do we look? What do we have? J. We have a J. What on earth could a J stand for at Christmas? Backwards. It's backwards? Yeah, it's backwards. Is that better? It's, it's the right way for me. Okay. Uh, there we go. This is just a fishing hook, right? Okay. So, uh, so what, what could a J stand for on Christmas? Anybody? What do you think? Jesus, Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus. Corbin, tell us about that. How can we use a candy cane? What does this remind us of? It reminds us that Jesus came and died for us on the cross. That's right. So it reminds us of what Christmas is all about, that it's ultimately whose birthday? Jesus' Jesus birthday, right? So uh, what about this? I mean, this is how a candy cane normally is. Does anyone 
know why the candy cane's in this shape? Because we don't hang them on the tree this way. I guess we couldn't. But so, anyone know why we hang them like this? Anyone know what this this represents? Melissa, do you know? A shepherd's crook. Corbin, I don't know if you guys know what a shepherd's crook is. Corbin, you want to talk about a shepherd's crook or why, why a it's, shepherd's crook? It's what they keep for keeping their sheep from going away. Yeah, so the shepherd's crook is what they use. Corbin's helping with the message today in case you couldn't figure it out. So, uh, um, so he's, he's, uh, he's, the shepherd can use this to keep his sheep. Why would we have a shepherd's crook for Christmas on a tree? Because Jesus is a good shepherd. Right, it's a reminder. Did you hear that? Say it louder. Jesus is a good shepherd. That Jesus is a good shepherd. And even um, Jesus came like David, and King David was, you know what King David was before he was the king? Here's a clue. Not a candy cane, a shepherd. That's right, he was a shepherd. So uh, King David was a shepherd, and Jesus came to be a shepherd, but not of sheep, but of us. He came to be a good and loving shepherd for us. Now, uh, you see two colors on, on most normal candy canes. Uh, what, what are the two colors? This isn't hard, not a trick question. Red and white. All right, so what's that? I'm green on some of them, right. We've got, and I've actually, maybe, if you guys do awesome, might have a treat for you in some of them, whatever. All right, so uh, we've got two colors, red and white. Uh, Corbin, why don't you tell us about why white? What is, why is there white on a candy cane? What does that represent? Um, it stands for Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what it stands for? His purity? Oh, yeah, his purity because he's Jesus, so his purity is white. Yeah. And he also gives us his righteousness and purity yeah. too, doesn't he? And then on a candy cane, you know, there, there are these red stripes. And then usually on most candy canes, there's, you know, kind of one thick stripe. And then there are some smaller red stripes. And uh, Corbin, do you remember what the red stripes represent? It stands for Jesus' blood. Yeah, Jesus' blood. And in fact, um, remember Jesus, when, when he was a man, he was beaten. And it says in, in the prophets that um, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And so it's a reminder that Jesus was wounded for us so that we can be pure, so that we can be blameless in the sight of God. So did, did anyone know all this stuff about a candy cane? You thought it was just a kind of mediocre Christmas candy, right? Um, but, but remember what, when you see candy cane now, it's a reminder of, is this the right way? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. It's a reminder that Christmas is also about who? Jesus. Jesus. And he's the good what? Shepherd. 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 And, uh, you know, he, his, uh, his, his wounds, his blood, right, have made us Pure, because he's pure. And so um, when you look at the candy cane, you can remember what Christmas is actually all about. Pretty cool, isn't it? That this symbol is, is all over the place. And most people have these on their trees or they, they eat them and they don't even know. But maybe you can even share that with people about why a candy cane looks the way it does. Now, because you guys are so incredible, I have for you, um, they're little candy canes. They're not giant ones. But I've got some little candy canes for you because I don't want your parents getting too mad at me for giving you candy in the morning. Um, and so I'm going to need my helpers, Aria, Corbin, um, to pass these out. These ones, i got some fruity ones for you as you get ready to make your way down. So if you prefer a fruit-flavored one and these are the mint ones, you can go ahead. I think there's enough. You can take one of each if you want or you can take a couple. Just save some for the rest. And then you guys can go ahead and safely make your ways back down the stairs. Corbin, I think most kids are like you. I think the fruity went over more than the mint. Uh, note to self. You know, this morning uh, we gather here to worship Jesus, the King, and uh, we just talked some about that with the kids. But uh, I wanted to start off this morning um, talking to you a little bit about another king. Um, back in 1936, King Edward VIII was king over England, and not just England, of course, but the entire British Empire. Uh, and in 1936, he um, did something shocking. He proposed to marry an American socialite by the name of Wallace Simpson. 
Now, this caused quite a scandal. And we've been talking about scandals throughout this uh, series on weekends. But it caused quite a scandal throughout the UK, not just because Wallace Simpson was an American, um, though I'm sure people didn't appreciate that, um, but um, because she had been divorced once. And in fact, she was currently married and divorcing her second husband. And in 1936, if you were the king of England, that was simply not something that you should be a part of it. It seemed below the dignity of the crown. And uh, not only that, but not only is the, the king of England the king, but he was the head of the Anglican church. And so his, his desire to marry this woman, Wallace Simpson, it led to what was called a constitutional crisis in England. And basically parliament and everyone else in the country said, you can be king or you can marry Wallace Simpson, but you cannot do both. And of course, this caused quite a stir. And in the end, some of you know the story, that King Edward VIII, he chose the girl over the crown. I just want you to think about that for a second. The king of the most powerful empire at the time left his throne for love. Some people think that's a scandal. Some people think that's romantic. I guess that depends on your perspective. What's interesting to me is is that this story has been retold in various ways all throughout time, in reality, but also in some of our stories. Uh, For instance, do you know those two? Someone help me out with that? It's Eric, and who's the girl? Ariel, the Little Mermaid, right? Uh, so, you know, in, in the Little Mermaid, the whole story, right, is about, is about this, this mermaid young girl who leaves her world to become a part of his world and becomes a human and leaves her father and all the things, uh, the amazing life under the sea. She leaves all of that so she can be with Eric for love. Now, as a father of daughters, I object to the fact that she saw him once and then, you know, after three days they got married, but uh, I'll save you for that diatribe some other time. Um, or do you know these two? Who's that? Shrek and Fiona. I, I love that movie because there was that, that plot twist there. You know, we knew that true love's kiss could break the curse throughout the whole first movie. And, and uh, I know when I first saw it, I assumed that they were going to fall in love and they would kiss. And then, and then somehow Shrek would be transformed into a human and Fiona would stay a human. And, and then there was that great plot twist where they both became ogres. And, and so Fiona, she left her world as a human and she didn't even mind because she loved Shrek and she wanted to have a life with him. Or uh, I don't know about these two. I'll let you, uh, let you figure out who did the marrying up in that picture, um, who left their world to, to be a part of someone else's world. But you see, this is a big theme in, in romance, in music, in movies, in poetry. Someone who loves something or someone else enough to leave everything else behind to become a part of the world of another. And I don't know why that's such a popular theme. Maybe it's just because it's, it's sentimental and it's sappy and it's sweet and, and so we're just drawn to it. Or maybe it's such a powerful theme, such a repeated theme, because it's part of God's grand story woven into the fabric of the universe. Maybe when we hear stories like that, there's something in our mind that, that, that it's almost like an echo of something that we know to be true, of, of a grander story, of a greater story written by God himself. Because isn't that the story of Christmas? And isn't that what we're here to celebrate this morning? That God, out of love, out of deep and passionate love for us, left his world and came down 
to be with us. He left his royal position in heaven in exchange for what? Some straw, some cold, poverty, being misunderstood, animals. In fact, you know, this weekend we've had a bunch of our friends uh, helping us share this story, and uh, they can probably do a better job than I can, so take a look. One time, um, an angel um, told um, Mary that she was going to have a kid. And Mary was very scared, um, and Gabriel told her not to be afraid. He said that you're pregnant and that you're going to name him Jesus, and it's going to be God's son. And she um, gets a little nervous, but she still is... um, a little bit happy. So Mary, she went and told Joseph, but Joseph, um, he didn't really believe her. She, um, he got a bit upset. Then the angel went over and told Joseph. At first he couldn't believe it either, but then he did. So they found out that um, they had to go to Bethlehem to pay taxes. Um, and Bethlehem was um, Joseph's hometown. And they went on a donkey, like a camel, not a donkey. Wait, it was a donkey? They went, they rode on a donkey to Bethlehem. It was um, like a really far journey and some people have to stay there. Um, and then when they got to Bethlehem, um, they um, went to... Um, like a little hotel and the keeper said that they didn't have any more uh, rooms. They knocked on the doors and they said no space here and when they knocked on the other door and no space here when they knocked on the other door there's no space there. They saw all the rooms were full because all the people already got there before they did. Then Mary and Joseph were sad and a generous man in a barn in a staple was like, hey, we have a room if you want to stay. And so they did. And there were stinky cows and horses and there was sheep and donkeys and camels loud camels, really loud camels. Chickens, roosters, cows, and, um, and, um, sheep. Lots of animals, a shepherd, some sheep, and nice horses. Two bulls and a little dog. Wait, can we go back on to the animal part? Um, I forgot about the dove. Then Jesus was born and he wasn't in a crib, he was in manger. Joseph just decided to put Jesus in the feed box, which wasn't a very good bet. He was in a manger and, um, He didn't have a crib or anything like I did when I was a baby. 
the angel went down and said, There's a brand new Savior. The angels appealed to the shepherds and um, just started singing the great glory to God. And the shepherds got and then when they heard the news, they told everyone. Shepherds came to see him. The angels came to see him. The three wise men and the little drama boy. During around that time, um, the wise men, they saw a star and they followed it. They were star studiers and they studied a star and they followed it. They brought him frankincense, myrrh, and gold. One gift for, for each of them. One gift was from um, the biggest, and one man had the mediumest, and one man had the smallest. A lot of good stuff. The angels were dancing, making music. They're like, hey, everybody, Jesus is bored. Yay, this is awesome. I told you, I told you they could do a better job explaining it, but, um, you know, you think about all that God endured, all that Jesus endured to, uh, to come down to this, to this world. And, um, while that was cute, some of it may not have been completely accurate. And yet I think it does a pretty good job of summarizing the indignities that Jesus willingly suffered for us, but that's only the beginning, isn't it? And we know later on, as we just shared with the kids with the candy cane, that his birth looked forward to greater indignities and greater humiliation that he would later be mocked and misunderstood, that he would be abandoned and betrayed, that he would be abused, that he'd be tortured, and that he'd die. And can you imagine loving someone so much to go through all of that? I mean, even more so. I'll just make this personal. Can you imagine someone loving you so much? I, I can't imagine someone loving me so much, knowing me, I mean, maybe the me that I present to, my, to, to others on, on, a, you know, on, a, on a public face, but, but knowing me so well, I can't imagine someone loving me so much that they'd be willing to go through all of that. You know, far worse than just experiencing the inconvenience of humanity, uh, if you think about Jesus and what he left, he left the companionship of the Father, not just royalty in heaven, not just thrones and all of the superficial stuff we think about, but he left his intimate relationship with his Father in heaven, and he came to earth, eventually even experiencing abandonment. But C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, it's kind of uh, jarring to hear it like this. He said, lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for a moment that your dog and every dog is in deep distress. Some of us love dogs very much, and some of us, well, you, you know how I feel. But um, some of us love dogs very much. If it would help all the dogs in the world to become like men, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, your hobbies, your art in literature and music, and choose instead, uh, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak? He says, Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing which to him was the most precious thing in the entire world— his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. And you probably spent all morning just thinking about 
all of the things that Jesus left in order to come and be with us. And it's just mind-boggling to me that he did all of that for love, to be with us. Can you think of anything more beautiful? Can you think of anything more scandalous than that? But I actually think it goes a step further, the scandal does. See, we believe that Jesus truly took on flesh, right? I mean, that's what the incarnation is about. That's, that's what this day is about. Not just that God came to earth as a spirit, but that he put on human flesh. The Bible emphatically insists upon that. In John chapter 1, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Tragic words, that, that he left all of that to come to us, and yet he wasn't even received by us. It goes on, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor by human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And then it says, The word became flesh. Hear that? The word became flesh. The, the ever-living God who has no beginning or end became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, John's pretty emphatic that Jesus came and, and he put on flesh in his birth. But not only that, we believe that in his crucifixion, right? We, we believe that in his crucifixion, he was also crucified in the flesh, and in fact, there were some battles in the early church about this, and, and uh, some people thought, no, there's no way that God could actually die, and, and so maybe, maybe the Spirit of God departed, and what was left on the cross was just a man, and, and that was refuted as heresy. And we said, no, that Jesus, true God and true man, died on a cross. He died both in spirit and in flesh. And in his resurrection, we believe that he was raised also in the flesh, Right? He had Thomas touch his hands and feet. He ate some fish in front of Peter so that they could see that he was still flesh. We believe that he is ascended in the flesh, and we believe that he is coming back one day in the flesh. What that means is that Jesus didn't just put on flesh temporarily for a little while while he was on the earth. But that means that Jesus is still, he is permanently wrapped in flesh. And that means now, this is the scandal of Christmas for me, that means now that there is a representative of humanity in the very being of God as, as a part of the eternal trinity. Now, some of you have friends in high places, and you can imagine what that would be like if you had a, a relative, a cousin who was uh, a governor or a um, you know, uncle who was a police chief, or for goodness sakes, uh, you know, a grandfather who was a president of the United States, something like that. I mean, you can imagine what that would be like. See, the reality of Christmas, the reality of the incarnation of Jesus putting on flesh, is that now the God who created us now has taken a piece of us into his very being. Jesus didn't only become like us for a little while. But our humanity is now woven into the fabric of the Trinity itself. God has taken a part of, of his, of his you know, creatures that he has made, and he's made it a part of himself forever. 
mean, you talk about scandal, that God changed his very nature in being so that he could be with us forever. In Jesus becoming flesh, God created an alliance with us forever in, in irrevocable bond by taking us into himself forever. Do you understand what Christmas means? It means that God did not only become a part of humanity, but at Christmas, he made humanity a part of himself. Scandalous. And I can't think of another story that mimics it because I think it's just too crazy. But here's what it means. It means that he will never leave us. He can't. He can't turn his back on us because in order to turn his back on humanity, that would be turning his back on himself. We are forever joined. We are bonded. That means that he will always favor us above all. That means that although we are his creatures, we are the crown of his creation and and we are shared by this common bond of humanity now. God forever changed himself. Not just for 30 some years, but forever changed himself out of love so that we could be with him and he could be with us and we could know his fullness so that we could know his life. So what response is proper for someone doing something like that. I mean, how on earth do you ever say thank you? How, how do you respond to someone who's shown that kind of love? Well, I hope you know today that there's nothing you can do to ever pay God back. And that's not his expectation. Love doesn't make demands. Love doesn't expect, true love doesn't at least, it doesn't expect anything in return. It gives freely and generously with no expectation. It loves because that's what love demands. It just, it just loves and that's who our Father is. But what's your response today? I hope it is that in the face of this love, in the face of a love so scandalous, that you will love him back in word, in heart, in deed, in action, that you will love him back and live a life of worship, that you will love him back and live a life of service to others, not to earn his favor because you have his favor, that you will love him back And you will spend the rest of your life not only living under his love, but returning his love to him and to him through your love to others. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have made this bond with us that is baffling. It is mind-boggling that you became like us And now our humanity is a part of of you. And that there is this alliance, there is this treaty between us, there is this commonality between us now, Father. We are in awe that you would do something like that, that that in love for us and a desire to redeem us and save us and give us life and life to the full, that, that you would do something so drastic. Father, In light of that kind of love, I I don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond. But I pray that you would move our hearts to just be overwhelmed. And in in that place of being overwhelmed, that we would be moved to love, to love you, to love your other creatures around us, Father, to to serve, to give, but most of all, just to be loved. 
to know that through Christ we've been made holy and blameless and pure. You've made us like you, but you become like us. And Father, that's beautiful. I pray today that you would continue to let this scandal of your incarnation roll around in our minds. And Father, that every time we think of it, we would feel so loved. And that we would know that there is not a love in all of the universe like yours. And that we just be caught up in that love. Father, grant this to us all, we pray in Jesus. Amen.